Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Grover Washington Jr. is the nothing personal word of the day for March 4th, 2022. How are you going to market that, Coca? Who is Grover Washington Jr.? Just the two of us. We can make it if we try. Just the two of us. Come at me, YouTube. You and I. Just the two of us. Making magic in the sky. Grover Washington Jr., Go listen to that song. It's so good. I got into a, I don't, do you want to start the show over? I don't think we really need to, Coco, but I just want to tell you a story that I should have told you before we started taping. I was getting ready to go to sleep last night, trying to see if I could get sleep because I'm so freaking exhausted from this week and last week, but I got into both TikTok and YouTube rabbit holes and I was watching videos of the Elton John reunion concert or the final concert goodbye yellow brick road goodbye yellow brick road so i'm watching elton john now then i'm watching him from 20 years ago and 30 years ago then 50 years ago and before i know it it's approaching two o'clock in the morning so of course then you do wordle because that starts at midnight so i figured i'd get that done and then i'm reading some articles getting ready to think about today's show and then i say wait a minute i want to watch rocket man because i'm thinking about elton john so i put on rocket man and then before you know it because i say it's friday i gotta do one show and then i can go nappy nunu so then about three o'clock i turn on rocket man which of course i had to buy because i didn't have so i got it rocket man rocket man so i'm watching that thinking wow i really do like that better than bohemian rhapsody even and he did his own singing even though i love bohemian rhapsody so then I started listening to Queen and watching the old Live Aid Queen on YouTube. That's a rabbit hole. Just the two of us. We can make it if we try. That's what the owner said. Send over Dan Helm and Morgan Sword to have a meeting with Bruce Mayer and Ian Penny. Make it a two-on-two. Two. I, I wanted it to be one-on-one. -on -one. I was going to do Hall & Oates. The first rumor is it was just Dan Hallam and Bruce Mayer having a meeting. The first meeting since games have been canceled in MLB. The number two in charge of the players and the owners were going to get together and I was going to sing one-on-one. -on -one, I want to play that game today. And then it was two-on-two. -two. So here's what's happening and here's what came out last night in the middle of the night that was fascinating because we've talked about it. Now we have confirmation about it, but we're going to go into some detail about it if you don't mind. So the owners went back to New York. The players went back to New York. And when I mean that, I mean the representatives. They get back. They check out of their hotel. They pay for incidentals. S side note, do you know when teams check into hotels, the way it works is you get keys waiting for you. The hotels, all team hotels, put out a table with a tablecloth. And when the team bus comes from the airport, when you're checking into a city, 
there is a table and you've got staff, coaches, executives in one part of the table, players in another part, and the name, and then your name on an envelope, and in the envelope is your key. Now, many people don't check in using their own name. I used to use the name Jay Trotter from Let It Ride, and you had many, many players who use many different names. Some players use their own names, didn't much matter. So you walk into the hotel, you get a key, you get your key, then there is a table of food. Like if you, even if you're getting it at two in the morning or 11 o'clock at night, it doesn't matter. There's a vat of waters you can take to your room. And then they've got granola bars and bananas and cookies and all sorts of, of stuff that you can bring to your room. Of course, the players then order room service because that's one of the rules for team hotels. You have to have 24 hour room service, period, hard stop. You can't be a team hotel without 24 hours of room service. Okay, so you go up to your room. Now, what don't you do? You don't leave a credit card, which is what normal people do when you check in. Hey, can I have your license and credit card? When teams check in, there is not a license or a credit card. It is just they cordon off the area, there's security, and you walk up to the table, you see where your name is, and you go to your room. Then the bell people come with your bags. Some players say, just leave my bag until the morning. I want to go right to sleep, or I want to go right out, or don't interrupt me. I've got company in the room, so don't worry about the bag. I would always get my bag first because when you're the president of the team, the traveling secretary knows that the president, the manager, and the GM get their bags sent up immediately, especially me because no matter when I would get to a hotel, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m., I'm fully unpacking, washing up before I'm going to not sleep. So at the end of your stay in that city, you have to check out except you just leave. So what players do is they go to the ballpark, either by taxi or they take the team bus, and you don't go to the front desk, and you just walk out. You leave your key or you don't leave your key, and the bell people come and get your bags. You don't have to bring your bags if you don't want, but some bring their bags to the lobby. But on the itinerary that we all get, before you go on a road trip, which tells you what city you're in, believe me, sometimes you don't remember, it tells you what the weather's gonna be, it tells you what time you have to the game starts, what time the buses are, etc. In capital letters, at the end of the last day in a city, the itinerary says, pay your incidentals, all caps. Incidentals are when you order room service or when you have a massage or whatever it is that you do that is not part of what the team pays for, which is just your room and your tax. So. Every single time players leave and they forget to pay their incidentals. They just forget. So then the hotel has to call the traveling secretary and say, hey, do you want us to put this on the master account? Because there's a master account which covers the cost of the rooms. Or do you want us to track down this player? Could you get his credit card? And we would always just put it on the master account and then deduct the amount of the incidentals from the player's next paycheck. Of course, we tell the player, hey, you didn't pay the $42.69. So that is what happens when players and teams arrive in cities. When negotiators leave towns, they go back home. So they came back to New York, they lied down, got some sleep, caught up with their significant others. And they said, we got to regroup and figure out what our next move is. And they came to the conclusion the smartest thing would be for Rob Manford not to have a meeting, 
Tony Clark not to have a meeting. Max Scherzer, no thank you. Garrett Cole, go throw. Andrew Miller, relax and try to find a team. Dick Monfort, go take advantage of the new laws in Colorado and relax just for a quick secundo. So let's have Dan Hallam and Bruce Meyer get together, bring their top lieutenants, Morgan Sword and Mr. Penny, and see if we can get this thing back on track. So they meet, word comes out, they spend about an hour and a half together. And of course, we don't know what was exactly talked about other than what both sides leaked, which means we know exactly what was talked about. No core economic issues were discussed. Don't panic, that's okay. Process, timing. Players Union would have said to the owners, hey, um, are you gonna be canceling more games? Yes, we are. When do you think you're gonna be doing that? Next Monday or Tuesday. Well, why is that? We told you we're going to do a week at a time, and we meant it. Do you think Do you think we were only going to cancel one week and then just stop? Somehow, magically, the calendar was not going to move forward? Okay, so we have till Monday or Tuesday. Today's Thursday. What, do you think we should meet again? Yeah, I really do. We need to talk about this CBT issue. Well, I don't really want to talk about CBT yet. Well, what's CBT? You know, the competitive balance tax, the sort of thing that Max Scherzer said was a salary cap. And I said, you're right, Max, it is a salary cap where teams that go over it have penalties in both money and loss of draft picks. It is the single biggest issue being negotiated. So the owners and the players said, let's hold off on that for just a quick sec. Let's talk about some on-field issues. Let's maybe change the narrative for our fans here so they don't think we're just bitching and moaning about all these economic issues that people can't understand. And let's unify. Let's unite, hold hands, and sing Kumbaya, my lord, and say we want to make this product better. Let's talk about pitch clocks. Let's talk about banning the defensive shift. Banning the shift? We'd love to do that, said the players. We'd love to do that, said the owners. Wait, all the owners want to ban the shift? Do you've got the votes, Dan, to ban the shift? Oh, I can get that, Bruce. I can get 23 teams to vote to ban the shift. Well, why is that? When the shift first started, there were only a few teams employing it. We were one of the last teams to do it. Perry Hill, our phenomenal, at least on the field, defensive coach, infield coach had a way that our defense was always really above average. Of course, we had above average players, but I digress. When analytics took a bigger hold in baseball, it became clear that it was not out of the ordinary to have players switch positions, not just every hitter, but every pitch. So we would break it down, down to the pitch count, down to the situation, down to where runners were on base, literally every situation. One out, fourth inning, down two runs on a 2-1 count. Here's where you should stand because the hitter against this pitcher has a tendency to do this with the ball. And so that's why if you watch a game now, you see players running around like Vildechais. And they're all looking inside their cap. They're all looking into the dugout. There's hand motions going on. They've all got pieces of paper that they're looking at. It used to be just quarterbacks and catchers. Now you've got outfielders, infielders. Everyone's got a piece of paper. Oh, you've got Tom up and he, we're, we're, we've got Dick pitching 
and it's a pretty hairy situation. Therefore, I need to be standing four steps to the right of second base. Hey, but I'm actually playing third base. Don't worry. That's a ground ball to me. Have you ever tried teaching your kids how to score a baseball game and there's a ground ball to second base and you say, hey, that's called a four to three. And then you see how it's scored in the ballpark and they say five to three. And you say five to three. How can it be five to three? It was a ground ball to second base. And you say, holy crap, the third baseman was playing on the other side of the bag and the ball was to him. How are you supposed to know how to score a game? You got to keep track. The announcers can't even keep track of who's playing where. But now we put little chips in the players. So now on TV, there's an arrow to let you know which fielders are playing where. Come on, man. It's all a little much. My view of the shift was always very simple. I would talk to our players about it. They'd get so frustrated. They'd hit what they thought. Justin Bohr is a great example. They would shift against Justin Bohr, just a strong, amazing man, amazing father, amazing husband, amazing player, fun to be around. I'll never forget what he did. If you haven't seen it, go back to the 2017 Home Run Derby. If you want to watch one of the great rounds ever between Justin Bohr and the eventual winner, Aaron Judge, unbelievable. So Justin Bohr would hit a rocket right? And he's not exactly fleet of foot. He's not slow. I mean, he's faster than Coca, but not slow. Now in the combine, he would be considered slow. He would have, he run, my guess is in the 40 around a 10.569. So he hits a rocket, gets thrown out of first base. And he says, man, you know, that would have been a single for sure. And that hurts my average. And therefore I don't get paid as much during arbitration. So I'm going to get non-tendered. I'm going to have to go to Korea to play or Japan and then Taiwan and then I'm going to come back and what's going to be with me so as a team we would always say inside the competitive competition committee meetings what about banning the shift how would everyone feel about that and teams like Tampa and Oakland would stand up and say you know we used to have a big advantage because you guys are all so dumb you didn't do what we were doing and so we were taken outs away but now we're all in the same place so the advantage of the shift has really gone away because it's not like we're trying to just take away your hits. We're trying to add hits to our offense. But if you're playing defense against us the way we're playing defense against you, therefore we're back to ground zero, square one. I don't remember the expression. I don't think it matters. I think you get my point. The advantage of all of these things is only felt by teams who have an advantage because other teams are not doing what they're doing. But when all teams have access to the same information now, and the incremental difference is only based on how many yellies you have, then you start looking to the aesthetic of the game. And the aesthetic of the game would say, it's not all that much fun to watch players hit into a shift, to which I used to say, if you are Freddie Freeman or Ken Griffey or Justin Bohr. Two mentions of you, Justin, in one show. Why not just go the other way? And the players would say to me, hey, um, Dave, I got a question for you. If I played 10 people on the right side of second base and I said to you that there will be nobody, literally nobody, no outfielders, no infielders, no nobody, what average do you think you would have in baseball? And I said, if I were a professional baseball player, I'd hit 650, 700, because I would just tap the bat 
I would just hold the bat out there and basically tap it to the other side. And they said, good, I love where your head's at, except there's a first baseman there. And I say, no, no, you said no fielders at all. And they said, okay, that's for you, David. But in the shift world, the first baseman's there. So if you tap it that way, the first baseman will get it, so he can't do it. So you have to find a way to hit it a little harder to get it through the hole in the infield where the shortstop normally would be or the second baseman normally would be. And so they always say to me, it's not as easy as you think. And so we'd have back and forth about how hard it is to the baseball, which is the hardest thing to do, of course. And I would go on my way, go back into committee meetings and say, all right, I've changed my mind. I think we need to talk about banning the shift. And momentum has increased over the years. And now we've got full agreement that banning the shift, while it may not be the panacea toward more on-field action and better pace of action, it's certainly a start. Now, banning the shift means that a certain number of players, too, have to be on either side of second base. It doesn't mean you can't change where you play on the other side of second base, but it just discusses how many players can be. Because shift is when you have three players on one side of the base, obviously. Okay, so they sit and talk about that owners and players, and they have agreement because players want to have more hits, no question. Of course, pitchers want to have lower ERAs. <gasps> Are we seeing a schism in the union where hitters want one thing, but pitchers want another? Yes, that exists with every one of these on-field issues. Anything that's good for hitters is bad for pitchers. Anything that is bad for pitchers is good for hitters. So the union has to calculate what the overall feeling is and how many votes they have amongst their player reps and amongst their ranks for whether or not these on-field changes are going to be accepted. Believe it or not, even the universal DH, because the more offense, the more ERA, the worse pitchers will get paid. So one side of this bargaining unit, the players, have to pay attention to how certain players feel about things and certain other players feel about them. We shouldn't be surprised by that. Are you then surprised that that's what happens on the owner's side too? How many more times do I have to explain? How many? I'll do it all day. I'm here every day, 45 minutes, and I appreciate your time more than you know. I'm going to set another record this week. Every week's a new record because of you. But I'll keep saying it. Rob Manford is not to blame for this lockout. Rob Manford's hardest job is getting 23 owners to agree what shape the negotiating table should be. The owners need 23 votes to ratify a collective bargaining agreement. The players could offer everything the owners want. Step back on every issue. And if there are eight owners who still want something else, it wouldn't be enough. Dianu. So Rob Manford is spending his time canvassing. He's got people who work under him, Dan Hallam and Morgan. And then he's got people from the ownership committee. He's got people from the executive council. He's got people from the negotiating committee. Everyone gets assigned teams. There's actually a sheet that is distributed at the owner's meeting when there's negotiations going on. This person from the negotiating session, Ron Fowler or Dick Monford, who were on the committee, you saw Hal Steinbrenner as well. They are responsible for the following five teams. If you have any questions, call your representative. So you call up 
Dick Montford said, hey, Dick. Yeah, we're the Marlins. We're a no on CBT going over 220 million. Dick would say, come on, seriously? Dick, I'm telling you, I will not vote yes to this agreement if the CBT level is over 220. I want the number as low as possible because I want teams to pay as big a penalty as possible for having a runaway salary. And Dick would say, really, you're definitely a no? All right, hold on, I'll be right back to you. Hey, Dan, it's Dick. Yeah, I got Samson, he's a no. All right, how many no's do you have? That's it, I got one no in my group. All right, Hal, what about you? Ooh, I got the Angels. They're a problem. Ah, don't worry about the Angels. No, no, we have to worry about the Angels. How come? Because Artie Moreno, the owner of the Los Angeles Anaheim Angels, I call them the Anaheim Angels. That's right, Artie, you are the owner of the Anaheim Angels. What, you think we weren't paying attention when you became the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim? And then when you just became the Los Angeles Angels because you thought for whatever reason being the Los Angeles Angels would make you as popular and give you as much revenue as the Los Angeles Dodgers? And then you tried to spend as much money as they did, but you spent it wrong, but you did spend money. But then the Dodgers sold and the parking lot guy, McCourt, sold them. And then the new guys came in, got the billion dollar TV deal. And you said, oh, crikeys. Now I got to rein in the Angels. Damn it. Four, six, nine. Oh, crikeys. Now I got to rein in the Dodgers. So Artie Moreno speaks to his guy and says, hey, I'm a no on that offer that we're giving the players. And Hal Steinmetter says, why you a no? And Artie Moreno says, is Rob in favor of this? And Hal says, yes. And Artie says, well, I'm a no. Well, well, Artie, what about if Rob says the sky is blue? No problem. I'm a no. All right, listen. Do we at least agree that it's 2021? No. That was a trick question, Artie. It's 2022. No, it's not. Artie Moreno was one of the leaders of the don't elect Rob as commissioner. Do you remember when Rob was elected commissioner back in 2013 and it was released publicly? It was the 30 to nothing vote. And I told you that that's not at all what it was, that the vote was 23 to seven. And then once Rob had been elected commissioner 23 to seven, John Henry stood up and said, hey, I was a no because I voted for my guy, Tom Werner, because then I wouldn't have to be partners with him anymore and I'd be even more in charge. But anyway, I digress. So John Henry stood up and said, hey, can we do that vote again? Because I think we should make it. I'm going to change my vote because my no vote doesn't matter anymore because Rob's already commissioner. So then they took a new vote. Bud said, great, let's take a new vote. Yes, yes, yes. Diamondbacks, yes. Ooh, Ken Kendrick voted for Rob? Well, he's been a no the entire time, but screw it. We'll just be part of the unanimous vote. So from a PR standpoint, we look like we're all together. Like all the owners are all together. It's such a joke. The owners can't stand each other. They're totally competitive. It is the biggest BDC of all time inside these owners meetings. Okay. Anyway, can I say BDC on the air? Did this just become explicit? Okay. So then there's 30 votes. And then we get to look back in history and say that Rob Manford was unanimously voted for commissioner. Now we get to collective bargaining. Jerry Reinsdorf, who voted against Rob every single time until the end, he believed Rob would not be strong enough on labor, even though Rob had been in charge of labor under Bud Selig. Even before Rob joined Major League Baseball, Rob had done labor agreements. But Jerry Reinsdorf thought, no, we, he needs to be a, he, we call him labor hawks. I don't know why you call him that. Coca, do you have any idea why someone's a labor hawk? Is that like an expression for a bird? Like, a, do hawks do something bad? Do they eat people? Are they like out of Jurassic Park? 
I actually don't know why they're called that. In any case, that's what we would call them. So Reinsdorf was a no on Rob, thinking he wouldn't be hard enough on labor. Then, of course, you had Ken Kendrick, who was a no because he did not want Rob as commissioner. He actually wanted Tim Brosnan, who didn't even make the finals. But then when Tim Brosnan was gone, then he became a voter for Tom Warner. What about Artie Moreno? Of course, he's not voting for Rob. Bob Castellini of the Reds. Nope. And then yes. So word comes out yesterday that there are four teams. The Reds. Bob Castellini's the owner. The Diamondbacks. Ken Kendrick's the owner. The Angels. Artie Moreno's the owner. The Reds. I said the Reds. The Tigers. Mike Illich's son. Mike Illich passed away. His son is now. Can you imagine fathers and sons working in baseball together? Very rare. So Mike Illich's son, Chris Illich, now runs the Tigers. Those four teams were a no on the final offer that was given from the owners to the players. And I told you that the Marlins, if I were still the president, would have been a no also. The reason everyone's a no is the CBT threshold at 220 was too high. The players wanted a 245. Is there a compromise at 230? Everyone's saying just do the deal. Just go to 230 and you're fine. Split the difference. And I say to you, it can't work that way. Because owners who are a no at 220, you can bet your bippy they're a no at 230. And there are going to be more owners who are a no at 230. So you're blaming Rob for not getting a deal done on CBT when he doesn't have the votes. So how did Bud Sela get votes? And why can't Rob do the same? Because Bud Selig operated in a way that Rob Manford does not. Bud Selig would figure out how to make side deals with all clubs. I need your vote for this, but I'm going to take care of that. We're keeping track. We've got a black bag that we carry with us. It's locked. It's like our version of the football. We have it chained to Leroy's. He's the head security guy. You see him in all the pictures. He's the nicest guy in the world, by the way. One of my favorites. I love you, Leroy. I know you listen to the show. Shout out. Carrying around in his briefcase all the different favors that are going back and forth so everyone can keep track in the days of Bud. When Rob took over, he said, I'm not going to operate that way. I don't need 30 votes. I only need 23. If I got seven owners pissed at me at all times, no problem. As long as they're not on the compensation committee. (laughs) That's true. If you've got the compensation committee and 23 votes, you got the power. But now, what if he doesn't have 23 votes? And he's getting all sorts of public flogging. Rob's going to have to do his best Bud Selig imitation and make some side deals. That is what is taking some time right now. You've got the commissioner's office working with the different owners who are no's, trying to make sure they become yeses and making sure there aren't eight of them who stay no's during the pendency of this. Because if you've got eight owners who don't want to play till July, I've got a surprise for you, ladies and gentlemen, and everybody else. There won't be baseball until July. It doesn't matter what the players want. It doesn't matter how much the players bitch and moan. If you've got a block of eight owners and no deal can be made to get one of those eight. Rob knows this because that's how he became commissioner. There were eight owners who didn't want him and we got the learners to vote yes. We made a deal with the learners to change their vote. And that's how Rob became commissioner at 23 to 7. 
If you make a deal with one of the eight teams who are a no, you're going to get a ratified agreement. And do you think that Dan Hallam is not talking to the players and Bruce Meyer about this? He goes to Bruce Meyer and says, listen, I don't know what you want me to do. Help me help you. Help me. Show me something. Give me a pathway where potentially we can get one of the eight no's to be a yes. Work with me. So it is going to be a fascinating, and I mean this, a fascinating next couple of days as we head toward the next announcement. Because what I'm looking for when they cancel the next set of six games, as I told you, I'm looking to see who announces it. I'm looking to see how it's announced. And I'm looking to see player reaction. Then I'm looking to see what the owners do in terms of not just communication, but how they're going to handle what is now being reported, which you knew from nothing personal, is discord between the owners, which is music to the ears of the players. Maybe. Not guaranteed, though. Because some players actually want to miss some games, but then they want to start playing because they will have proven their point. But if they play their hand too strongly and don't have enough owners who actually are willing to settle at some point, then the players will find themselves SOL without getting paid. It is going to be a fascinating next couple of days. Word of the day was Grover Washington. Just the two of us. All right, Coca, what do you want to do? You want to go to break or should we go to Reuben? Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. You know what I want. I want you, Ruben. Ruben, someone who works at CBS Sports, CBS Interactive, CBS Sports HQ, an incredibly talented guy who, according to salary, would not indicate that he'd have 17,000 pairs of sneakers. But what do I know? He actually slid into my Twitter, which is weird because he's got my cell phone number, and he actually texted me that I just did a So You Want to Talk to Samson in your DMs on Twitter at David P. Samson, to which I responded, actually, I don't know, Coca, this is actually, hold on, this is live right now if you're on YouTube, nothing personal with David Sampson. I'm going to see what I did respond to Ruben when he said that. He said, that was a, I want to talk to Sampson, but it's so you want to talk to Sampson. Tweet, David. I said, ha ha, I'm in. He said, love it. Now I'm going to say, recording it live now. There it is. I literally just sent that to you, Ruben, recording it live now. So you want to talk to Samson, get into my Twitter and ask a question. Now, I tweeted a picture of the Marlins championship ring yesterday. And so he said, what goes into designing a championship ring? We'd love to know what that process is like from start to finish. Well, it starts with inheriting a baseball team that is a championship team. <laughs> then... Trading for Juan Pierre, signing Pudge Rodriguez, trading for Jeff Conine, trading for Ugeth Rabina, getting Todd Hollinsworth, signing Mark Redman, 
Getting Chad Fox off waivers, what a slider he had. Trading for Dontrell, bringing him up, bringing up Miguel Cabrera. Somehow getting past the Giants and Cubs. Then getting to the World Series against Derek Jeter's Yankees. Then winning. The minute you win the World Series, you get the trophy. You get interviewed by Bud Selig, get interviewed by somebody at, uh, by the way, Ruben just responded, can't wait. Thank you. Well, won't have to wait long. I'm going to just write that. Won't have to wait long. Okay. That's live tweeting, folks. Actually, it's not. It's live texting. And by the way, what you're not seeing now because it's in my ear is Coca is actually texting with Ruben now also while Ruben's trying to do his job. So you win the World Series. You get handed the trophy. The next question the media asks, what about the rings? So there's several companies that make rings. Jostens, Intergold, Tiffany. And then you've got a few others that sort of join the Balfour. And they contact me. Right after the World Series, the day later, you get an email. And the email says, we would like to be considered to design your ring. And we said, great. Why don't we have a phone call? So what we did is first we sat down with our owner, Jeffrey Loria. And Jeffrey Laurie said, here's what I want. I want the biggest World Series ring ever made. And I want to make sure that there is a red ruby in the eye of the marlin on the top of the ring. And then I want you and Beinfest, me and Larry Beinfest, the GM, to figure out who's getting the rings and then to make up a set of rules of how you're going to decide who gets rings because we're going to have different levels of rings. And then I want to get three companies, you'll negotiate the price, but I want three companies to show me their designs and then I'm going to choose what I like best. So then you get a, sent to you by FedEx, a wax ring, which is made of wax and shows what their view is of what the top of the ring will look like with the PowerPoint presentation in color and then a description. You've got 200 diamonds and you've got a ruby here and then you've got a teal diamond there and then you've got on the side a picture of this, that, and the other. And then Jeffrey looks at it and then because he's so brilliant with his eyes as an art dealer and recognizing what is incredibly beautiful, he says, actually, I want to do this, I want to do that, change it to this, change it to that. And we say, let's put information on the side of the ring because it's so big. We can actually put every team we beat during the course of our playoffs. And we can put what the score was of each series. Then we can put the World Series trophy, a picture of that on the ring. And then we can inscribe under the ring the name of every player who's getting the ring. There's all sorts of things we can do. How much is that going to be? And then they send you a proposal, these different companies. Well, the ring is going to be $60,000 each. You want 200 rings. So there you go. 1.2 mil is about your cost. Now, did you know a little nugget that I don't know if that's been made public, but hey, I'm not in baseball anymore. Baseball, out of its revenue, central revenue, gives a subsidy to the winning team of the World Series to pay for rings. So you, teams don't have to pay for it themselves. So, of course, I took that subsidy. I said, Jeffrey, here's our budget. And Jeffrey said, uh, no, that's not our budget because I want the following 20 things and our rings are going to cost twice that amount. So put it in the budget. I said, well, that'll lower our payroll. 
or we'll have to fire some people. He said, we just won the goddamn World Series. You think people are gonna remember the rings they have or whether we keep a utility infielder? I said, hmm, that is a really good point. Bring on the rings. Next step, you go to contract with a company. We did it with Intergold. A guy named Moran. I don't know if Moran's still around, but he was brilliant to work with. So then they send us, I wanted to go with Tiffany because Tiffany did the World, the World Championship trophy. And I just thought there was some sort of, because Michael C. Fina used to be, anyway, Tiffany, I just thought would be the, the right company. But Tiffany's rings, they were, they were actually more ordinary than extraordinary. But when Intergold sent its ideas, they had captured exactly what Jeffrey wanted. And they sent an actual prototype, not just in wax. They put together what the ring would look and feel like. And it was so heavy and so big that when we showed it to Jeffrey, we had him at hello. So the next step is you go to contract with Intergold. Then they send you one, then you send it back and then you have back and forth. Then they send the next prototype. It takes about 10 tries through the course of the off season. Then you have to design the box that the ring is gonna get in because the ring gets presented in a box. Then they're designing the lower level rings for different levels of employees because we gave a ring to every employee, but the A ring is a different ring that the players get and the top executives get. Then the B ring is cheaper, but still amazingly cool. And the C ring is smaller, cheaper, but still pretty damn cool because people wouldn't expect to do it. So Larry Beinfest and I have a list of people getting each ring. We've got the rules to decide who gets each ring and we make up the rules specifically to make sure certain people do get rings, certain people don't get rings. And then one day from Intergold, you get a box that shows the final ring in the exact packaging that it's going to come. Then you have to check it. Then you show it to Major League Baseball. This is when we got the call saying George Steinbrenner is going to sue you because he doesn't want the New York Yankees logo on your ring. Because we had F4NY2, which of course was the final score of the seven, six game series in the World Series in 2003. Okay. So. Jeffrey says to me, hey, you got to call Randy. What's going on here? We're using the Yankee logo. I said, I'm not calling Randy. I'm not calling George. I'll tell you right now. I'm not making the call. Forgiveness is easier to ask for than permission. And I want to see the article where George Steinbrenner or Randy Levine or any of them actually file a lawsuit to stop our championship ring from being made. So they can even draw more attention to the fact that they lost the World Series in the last time anybody would appear in the World Series. I just, I want that to happen. Please. Guess what? Steinbrenner never sued. Our ring has the Cubs logo. It has the Giants logo. It has the Yankees logo. And the story is that when the rings come, they come in a delivery that is with security, actually, because there's a lot of rings and they're worth a tremendous amount of money. Everything gets insured. And then we have to store them in this vault before we do our ring ceremony, which was at a home game in April. We didn't do it opening day because we wanted to draw another big crowd in 2004, uh, not just for opening day. When you raise the flag, you try to stretch it out as much as possible. So Ruben, there is a whole thing that goes into designing a championship ring. Owners get involved, presidents get involved, there's rules, and it is a super cool process. And the only regret I have, the only regret is I was only able to be a part of one ring design and not two.
Okay. I finally did it, folks. I got through a 180-minute movie, and it took me two days to do it because I would get distracted, ADD, or I would just be on Twitter, or I'd want to watch an episode of F1, or I was watching, I was catching up on Billions, whatever the case may be. I got to get through all the Oscar movies, and there's one that's now available for streaming called Drive My Car. It is a three-hour movie in Japanese nominated for Best Picture, Best Screenplay, Best Director. By the way, this is not some schleppy movie. This is nominated for Best Director. So, of course, I had to watch it. I want to tell you what this movie is about and why I, listen, you give me 45 minutes of your time, and I think that's a lot for you to give to me, and I appreciate it. I'm now asking you for 180 minutes. I better have a damn good reason. And the damn good reason I have is that the screenplay is the best I've seen this year. The movie is certainly in the top three. It is about a husband and wife. The wife dies and the husband has to figure out how to move forward. That sounds sort of ordinary but it's all done in a car while acting a play. It sounds insane, right? Have I gotten your attention when I say that the relationship that develops between the husband and his driver is actually the more important relationship than the husband and his wife and there's no sex in the champagne room? It is not about sex. It's not about money. It's not about love. It's about living. We've talked a lot about this show, about grief, how to deal with it, the guilt people feel. We talk about how to move forward when loved ones die. You live long enough, loved ones will die, and how you figure that out. The way this writer and director and these actors, and it's in Japanese, the subtitles, you don't even know you're reading subtitles. The way he navigates that complicated subject in a way that is so fascinating, entertaining, intellectually stimulating, all under the umbrella of the culture that fascinates me in Japan, lead me to tell you that I don't want you to look at Drive My Car as a three-hour movie. I want you to look at it as a three-part series. Episode one is 41 minutes, and then the credits roll. Episode two is from 40 minutes to about two hours. It's an hour and 20-minute episode. Episode three is the final hour of the, of the movie. That's the final episode of the limited series. Because if you look at it as a limited series, you don't get overwhelmed. You're like, that's a three-parter. I can bang that out in one night. Look at it that way, okay? Drive my car. It is worthy of the nominations. It is worthy of your attention. Nothing personal pick of the day. God dang it, dog it. You know what? Vegas stinks. How is it that you all believe that the Brooklyn Nets are good? Just tell me. And how the Heat get no attention and no love. And then I sucker, I fall for that. The Heat playing back-to-back -back after a heartbreak loss to the Milwaukee Bucks, thinking that now the Nets with Durant coming back are going to finally feel some momentum, even though Ben Simmons is still hurt and James Harden is parading around loving life. What an absolute 
J-hole, pretending everything's great now that he's in Philly with the MVP, getting ovations. I'm finally home. Meanwhile, the Nets can't win a game. They're in danger of missing the playoffs. Nah, we're 24 and 20. Nets plus three. The Net, I think that game went off with Nets as a favorite, but when we did the show, they were plus three. They needed to be plus a lot more than that. The Heat beat them. We're 24 and 20. Well, Zion Williamson is playing tonight. He's making his season debut. Wait, sorry. Hold on. Cut that, Coca. We have time. Okay. Four, six, nine. The New Orleans Pelicans are again playing without Zion Williamson as they take on the Utah Jazz. The Pelicans, with their new addition, C.J. McCollum, have been playing much better of late and, frankly, are now better than the Los Angeles Lakers, who absolutely stink. The Pelicans have three and a half points that they are getting from the Utah Jazz. That will be the nothing personal pick of the day for Friday, March 4th, 2022. Pelicans, three and a half points over the Jazz. Okay, that's the pick of the day. I want to end the week on a very positive note. Very, very positive. I did the 40-yard dash yesterday. I did it in 29.69 seconds. I was in Indianapolis. It turns out that my IQ test went well. I was not able to bench more than 69 pounds. I was able to curl four pounds. I tried to get up to six and then nine, but it ended up at four. But I went to the combine because I thought, hey, in case this gig doesn't work out, maybe I could be a football player. But the biggest news out of the combine, and I end the week on a very positive note, is the NFL sent a memo that the NFL and the NFL Players Association have agreed to suspend all aspects of the joint COVID-19 protocols effective immediately. Folks, We've made it. We've made it through the rain. I found myself respected by the others who got rained on too. If you're vaccinated and boosted, nothing to worry about. If you're not vaccinated and boosted, we're not worrying about you anymore. The leagues have now realized that all the COVID protocols that were in play were in play for a reason. They don't need to be in play. Mask mandates are being lifted everywhere. You've got vaccine mandates that are being lifted everywhere. You've got the return to normalcy that we have craved and we are a week away from two years. Folks, we got the dash. I've been talking about the dash since March of 2020. I said, we are living in the middle. You look back at the Spanish flu, 1918, dash, 1922. You look back at wars, 1912, dash, 1916. I'm making up numbers because I'm making up numbers. Um, the war of 1812, 1812 dash, 1813, making up numbers. Don't at me. I'm not a history guy. I'm not a geography guy. I'm a math guy. I'm a talk guy. And we said, what's the dash for COVID? It's 2019, COVID-19, dash what? We're in the middle of the dash, who knows? History may look back and it's 2019, dash 2025, which means there was six years of a pandemic. By the way, 200 years from now, people say, wow, that didn't last very long. But when you're in it, it sure as hell feels like a long time. We did it. It's 2019, dash 2022. The scariest, most surreal, most unbelievable thing that we've lived through. 
notwithstanding the Holocaust and the world wars and all the other things that people have lived through. In my lifetime, those first few moments of COVID where you didn't know that if you had it, whether you would live or die, the dash is now complete. The NFL has started. The other leagues will follow suit. Wait to see, Coca. Official wait to see. MLB is going to end the COVID protocols. NHL, NBA, the COVID protocols will be gone from sports. They will be gone from our life. The return to normalcy is here. The dash is upon us. And the week has come to an end. I appreciate that you've been here. Have a safe, great weekend. Enjoy the dash. We'll be back Monday. It's just business. This is nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.